Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the faithfulness of Jesus to us. Thank you for the faithfulness of others who have gone before us in the faith. And thank you that we have many reasons uh, not to be ashamed of you and of the gospel and of your call to us. Father, I pray that you would uh, anoint my lips with your Holy Spirit so that I may speak the words that you want us to hear and to meditate on. And I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would open our hearts and our ears uh, to what you want us to hear today. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends in Christ, in Paul's second letter to Timothy, Paul is very close to the end of his life. He's writing to his young protege, Timothy, from prison, and he suspects that he may be executed for his faith in Jesus Christ and his proclamation of the gospel of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I reckon that if I was in that situation, that would sharpen my mind pretty much. If I knew that I was going to die and that what I was writing was possibly the last letter that I would ever write, I would think it would help me to focus on what was important and to really hone in on the things that really mattered. And that's actually what we find in the letter the second letter of Paul to Timothy. Just as an introduction, I'd like to play for you a portion of um, the video, the introduction to Second Timothy from the Bible Project. Now, I have used the Bible Project uh, videos a number of times before in my sermons. They have excellent um, theology, great overviews of the Bible. There's a lot packed in there, so I might encourage you to, to go home and check it out and, um, and listen through it again. But let's listen to the introduction of uh, the first uh, of Second Timothy. Paul's second letter to Timothy. This is Paul's final and most personal letter. He wrote it from yet another time in prison, and it's addressed to Paul's dear co-worker and protege, the young Timothy. Now, we don't know how much time exactly has passed since he wrote 1 Timothy, but we can see that Paul's situation has changed, and for the worse. He's imprisoned in Rome, which could refer to his time under house arrest that was mentioned in Acts chapter 28, or it could be that he was released from that imprisonment, had another long season of ministry, and then was arrested again in Troas. Either way, Paul says he's in the middle of his court trial now, and it is not going well. He's pretty sure he's not going to survive this one. And so out of this very dark situation, Paul appeals to Timothy, who it seems is still on assignment in Ephesus. He asked Timothy to come be with him in prison so Paul can pass on to him the church planting mission he started. The letter's design is pretty simple. There are two large sections where Paul challenges Timothy. First, to accept his calling as a leader, and then, before he comes to Paul, to deal with the corrupt teachers that are still causing problems in Ephesus. After this, Paul concludes the letter. So Paul begins by thanking God for Timothy and his family, specifically for his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. They immersed the young Timothy in the story of the Old Testament scriptures. They instilled in him a deep faith in the Messiah Jesus. And so because of that firm faith, Paul offers his first challenge to Timothy. He calls him to reject any temptation to be ashamed of the good news about Jesus or of Paul who's suffering in prison for announcing that good news. 
Now, the reason Paul needs to emphasize this is the negative stigma that he gained by his frequent times in prison. It made many of Paul's co-workers, in fact, doubt his calling as an apostle. He mentions two guys, Fugelis and Hermogenes. They deserted Paul because they were ashamed of being associated with Paul, who was an accused criminal now. So Paul asked Timothy to reject any fear of shame and to come see him. Now, Paul knows that this is a costly request. It could put Timothy at risk. And so he reminds Timothy that Jesus' grace is a source of power, which is really important. You're going to need it because following Jesus is not easy. It requires everything that you have. Paul likens following Jesus to enrolling as a soldier who's striving to please their commanding officer. Or it's like an athlete who's training their body for a competition. Or it's like a hardworking, dedicated farmer. All three of these metaphors involve a person who's committed to something bigger than themselves and who's willing to sacrifice and endure challenges to accomplish a greater goal. And of course, the highest example of this is Jesus himself. Because of his commitment to the Father, he suffered crucifixion by the Romans. And similarly, Paul himself is now suffering in a Roman prison. Hardship and sacrifice are inherent to the Christian life. And this is why Jesus' resurrection is the foundation of Christian hope. Hardship and sacrifice are inherent to the Christian life, that video says, and 2 Timothy says. Following Jesus is not easy. It requires everything you have. Not a really great pyramid scheme teaser, is it? It's not something which our modern culture or our consumeristic advertising would say, guess what? Get to follow Jesus and you get to suffer and to go through hardships and to have a really tough life. Come on, sign up right now. As I was uh, watching that video and preparing for the sermon, I was reminded of Winston Churchill's famous speech as he, was, um, as he became Prime Minister in May 1940, at the beginning of World War II. And I'm going to read the words of that speech to you. I can't do the Winston Churchill accent. I'm not even going to try. Thank God for that, okay? I would say to the House, as I said to those who've joined this government, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. We have before us an, an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We, be, we have before us many, many long months of struggle and of suffering. You ask, what is our policy? I will say, it is to wage war by sea, land, and air, with all our might and with all the strength that God can give to us, to wage war against a monstrous tyranny never surpassed in the dark and lamentable catalogue of human crime. That is our policy. You ask, what is our aim? I can answer in one word, victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory however long and hard the road may be, for without victory there is no survival. Let that be realised. No survival for the British Empire. No survival for all that the British Empire has stood for. No survival for the urge and impulse of the ages that mankind will move forward towards its goal. But I take up my task with buoyancy and hope. I feel sure that our cause will not be suffered to fail among men. At this time, I feel entitled to claim the aid of all, and I say, come then, let us go forward together with our united strength. Blood, toil, tears, and sweat. Once again, not a very great 
advertisement for a consumeristic age, but an inspirational rallying cry for a time when there was going to be great hardship. Following Jesus, as Winston Churchill said of the war against Nazi Germany, would not be easy. It requires everything that we have. And hardship and sacrifice are inherent to the Christian life. You see, there's nothing consumeristic about following Jesus. It's not an insipid life, and it's not often a comfortable life. But it's a saved, joyful, hopeful life with a glorious future. I remember that uh, one of my daughter's boyfriends once said to me, Nathan, you should go and be a megachurch pastor in the United States. You could earn millions of dollars. And I went, I don't really think that I could do that and live with myself in my conscience. And he went, you'd only have to do it for a year or so. You could set yourself up for life and, and you'd be fine. You know, and sometimes we hear a presentation of Christianity and of following Jesus that is um, something akin to that. You know, if you follow Jesus, life will be well with you, you'll be healthy, you'll be wealthy, and, and things will go well. Paul says no. Paul's life experience and the life experience of Christians down through the ages say no. Following Jesus is not easy. It's not all happiness and health and wealth. There will be suffering. In fact, Paul says to Timothy and challenges him, he says, join with me in suffering for the gospel. Okay, maybe right now you want to, to leave, to go, okay, <laughs> I've, thanks, Pastor Nathan. I think I've heard enough. Uh, I, I don't know if that life is for me. But what Paul says to, Pastor, to Timothy is, do not be ashamed. And in these first few verses of the letter to Timothy, Paul gives a number of reasons why Timothy and why we as Christians do not need to be ashamed and do not need to be afraid despite the hardships that can come with following Christ. Paul's challenge is do not be ashamed of Jesus. Do not be ashamed of the good news about Jesus. Don't be ashamed of Paul who is uh, the messenger of Jesus, but rather join with Paul in suffering for the gospel. Now, what might make us Christians ashamed? Ashamed to be Christians or ashamed of the gospel? What might make us timid or afraid in, in our day? This is a genuine question. There's some suggestions here, but I'd, I'd love to hear from, from you as well. What kind of things make us, tend to make us ashamed or timid of our, our faith? Sorry, I was going for Aaron. Aaron. <laughs> and then Sylv. <laughs> Okay, yep. Absolutely. So anxiety about yourself and your own capacity and whether you know the answers. That's... Yep. Yep, okay. Some things don't have answers, Sylvia. Okay, so it's quite different, and particularly this kind of presentation of the gospel is quite different from society and its values, Mark. Yep, the challenge of political correctness. is very politically incorrect these days to... Um, to say that Jesus is the only way to be saved, for instance, or to call people to repentance, that kind of thing. Yep. Absolutely. You know, when we hear of scandals in the church, the sin of the church, um, you, know, you, you know some of the things that I'm talking about, it's like, well, if you're a Christian, then you're associated with that 
kind of behaviour, that mob, right? Yeah. Let, let me have a, a quick look um, at uh, some of the things that I thought might make us ashamed or give us a spirit of timidity. I said the sins of the church, the stigma associated with being a Christian. You know, that, it, I don't have to define that for you. It's been all over the media for years, unfortunately. Our own sin and the awareness of just how frail we are. You know, if, if I'm a Christian and if this is the best that God can do, then how, how poor is that? You know, I'm, I'm very aware of my own sin and, and the need for God's forgiveness. The state of the world and the question, why do you let this happen, Lord? All this stuff that's happening, all this suffering, all this difficulty and pain. Is Jesus really in control? is a live question for us as Christians. Just how uncool it is to be a Christian and fear of rejection, I think that goes along with what Mark said. And possibly the fear of death itself, if we're sick, or the fear of suffering for Jesus. But as I said, in this short few verses, and let's turn to that now, let's turn to 2 Timothy, Paul can say over and over many reasons for Timothy and for us as Christians, not to be ashamed, not to be timid. Page 1197, if you've got one of the church Bibles. So the first reason, or one of the reasons that Paul lists for people not to be ashamed is because of the faith of those who have gone before and because of the community of people who pray for us. Let me read some of those verses. From verse 3. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers, Paul says to Timothy. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. One of the reasons that we don't have to be ashamed is because of those who have gone before and the community of people around us that prays for us. So when times are really difficult for us, we are surrounded by a a present community of people who uphold us in prayer before Jesus And how good it is to be able to say, you know, I don't really feel like I'm able to pray right now, but would you pray for me? How good that is. But also, not only the present community, but the community through time past, through millennia, that has kept the faith and passed it on down to us. And we know that people have always gone through the same kind of struggles, We know that down through the ages, it's always been a challenge to follow Jesus. And yet people have been faithful and they have passed that good news on to us. Secondly, Paul says that we don't need to be ashamed because of God's grace. And this is an amazing passage from verse 9 to 10. And I might get someone to to read that out um, for us. Um, Thanks, Yvette. Maybe you're a bit like me and you feel frail and sinful as a Christian sometimes. 
you recognize your own shortcomings. When does Paul say that God's grace was given to us? Before the beginning of time. Before we were even conceived or conceived of by human beings, God had us in mind and his purpose was to give us his grace through Jesus Christ. Before we could do a single thing for God, he had destined his grace towards us through Jesus. And that grace is what covers and forgives and, and empowers us to live beyond our own sin. Do you see the, the logic here? Um, Paul writes in verse 9, he has saved us and called us to a holy life. He saved us first. He calls us to a holy life second. It's not that we have to be holy before God saves us and gives us his grace. His grace is not some kind of reward for us being good. It's actually something that God gives to us before we can do anything for God. And that's what grace is all about. It's a gift. Christians are not Perfect. You may have seen that bumper sticker. Christians are not perfect, just forgiven. Now, while that's a cliche, there is really something to that. None of us claims that we are perfect. All of us know that we need God's grace and that it is God's grace that can help us not to be ashamed when we're so aware of our own sinfulness and frailness. Christians are not perfect, it's true, but we do know the depth of God's grace. I, I recall... Um, reading about a conversation that was happening between um, people of, uh, of different religions. And they were trying to work out what it was that was unique to, to Christianity because there's, there's a lot of overlap in some of the teachings of, of the religions. And apparently C.S. Lewis walked into the room and they said, oh, we're trying to work out what's unique about Christianity. And he said, oh, that's easy. It's grace. It's grace. God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Not us working our way up to God, but God coming to us in the person of Jesus. So accusations against us cannot stick. We do not need to be ashamed even of ourselves as Christians because of God's grace and because of his forgiveness. And when God looks at us, he sees his son, Jesus. Next, Paul says that we don't need to be ashamed and we don't need to have a spirit of timidity or fear because of the resurrection. And this is in verse 10 again. Um, the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Jesus has defeated death, the final and the worst enemy of humanity. Jesus has gone through death and he's come out the other side victorious, resurrected, and promises to us the resurrection life that he has been given. So Jesus has defeated the power of death and the devil. And so even when we are sick or suffering or very aware of our own mortality, as Paul was in that Roman prison, the good news of the resurrection means that we don't need to be timid. We don't need to fear what death can do to us. We don't need to be afraid of what may come after because Jesus himself has defeated the power of death and the devil. Paul says another reason that we don't need to be ashamed is because of the Holy Spirit. And it's not completely explicit here, but let's look at verse 7. Um, would someone uh, read that out if? 
if we've got it. Dean, you want to read it? Thank you. The spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. A reason that we don't need to be ashamed and that we can be confident in God is because he gives us his Holy Spirit. His Spirit, which allows us to call God Father and which makes us sons and daughters of the living God. Now, there's quite a bit of um, speculation that Timothy may have suffered from being a timid person. 